My name is Jason Ostrander, and if you've had the chance to go through the project experience, or if you had an opportunity to be with us this morning at church, I was sharing with you, I just want to say personally, and for the team that I represent, how grateful I am that you would take your night, your day, basically, and spend it with us. The reason we're here in one statement is this. At the CMA, we desire to mobilize the next generation for kingdom change. You know, when I came, became the National Youth Director and I moved myself to Colorado Springs, which is where our denomination's headquarters is, I was searching for the person or the group of people that were responsible for caring for, equipping, and training and mobilizing young adults aged 18 to 30, basically out of high school. And I realized that we didn't have anyone there. And so because of a couple other people's dreams and some in initiatives that had already begun uh, down in South America, we got together. And we began this dream of what we called Envision. And we thought it was all going to be about trips and about, you know, dealing with social justice issues around the world. And, and really what we stumbled across was a vision that God had given to many all at one time. And that was this. How do we care for what I consider to be the lost, uh, the, the greatest untapped resource in our church today, which is young adults aged 18 to 30? It's super important. That's a, a, transis a transitional generation for our church it's a transitional generation for our denomination, and to make it one step larger, I believe, and I'll share more about this later, I think God has put a mantle on that generation to do things that he's never asked a generation in history in our Christian world before, and we need to be prepared for it. And so what this tour is all about, in a sense, is to really infiltrate that idea within our local bodies. Because honestly, the national office and colleges can wave this banner, and they do, by the way, all the time. But unless it filters down into our local church, it's never going to take root. And so definitely we're going to be talking about how to mobilize that age group. And so if you're between 18 and 30, you're going to be out of college or, or out of high school soon. This is definitely targeted for you. But just so you don't think if you're older or younger than that, you've stumbled into the wrong event, I want you to know that this will definitely be a challenge given to you as a, a generation bearer and being the Moses for the Joshua, as I see it, that are upcoming within our denomination. I'm super excited about what I've seen God do. The response that we've received as we've traveled through churches and at Nyack, all across Pennsylvania, there's a resonation, what I call a heart nodding. You know, there's a head nodding when you listen to somebody, but certain times there's a heart nodding, you know, and your heart is like, yes, yes, I believe in that, I believe that, and, and we've received that. And so tonight, really what we want to do is expose you to some of the opportunities available for you. Those range from anything between a youth group trip to, into the United States, a missions trip, or beyond the United States internationally, to those that could go and stay for a year or up to two years at certain locations around the world. I've brought along a good friend of mine, Pete Brockup, who's going to share a little bit later about things that he sees going on in West Africa. And then throughout that, we want to say worship is a priority within this culture. Worship is a priority, and we'll talk about that out of a John 9 passage in a bit, which is what we're here doing. But also one other thing that's really important in this culture of envisioned culture, if you will, is prayer. I am concerned, again, as I said this morning, that we are raising a generation up in the church which does not have a deep felt dependency on the Word of God and on prayer. And we need to make sure that those two things are in all of our students as they're growing up, but as a church in general, we ought to be about these things. Prayer, the atmosphere of prayer within our denomination, within our churches, should not be awkward. As I tell kids when I go to camps and conferences, if praying out loud is awkward for you, get over it. 
right? Because this is what we're about. This is who we are. You know, we can't hide the fact that sometimes we pray to God or sometimes we don't. We need to be available and ready to go. And so that's what I'm going to do. Rather than me kick this whole night off with a prayer for our time, I would actually like for you all to kick it off with a prayer for our time. If you were here this morning, I talked a little bit about um, John 17, which is a recorded prayer of Jesus in the garden prior to his death on the cross in which he asked for a oneness, a unity, a unity that doesn't make us all look the same, act the same, but gives us a focal point, a common focal point, which is that of our Lord Jesus Christ. And within that unity, we have a beautiful, intimate, relational opportunity with our God in heaven. Jesus says, God, I pray that they will be in you just as I am in you and as you are in me. And he creates this beautiful dance, if you will, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and you and me. And it's there for one reason only, because Jesus asked for it. Because he asked for it. And so tonight, I pray that this is not about a program, it's not about missions trips, it's not about going overseas. Those are all parts of the culture we're trying to create. But the culture is really focused on who Jesus Christ is. And what we want to do is mobilize people with that focus all around the world and all around your community and all within your own schools. That's creating a culture. We don't want, practically speaking, students any longer thinking that once they go to the Life Conference, that's all we have for them. We want to make sure that there are things beyond that, that there are ways to keep them going down the road with this vision that I believe God has wired them with, wired them to see. So, I'm going to ask you to do something. And again, if this is uncomfortable for you, get over it. <laughs> I want you to turn to the person next to you. If you don't know them, you'll introduce yourself. I don't want you to take prayer requests. All I want you to do is pray that tonight the will of God will be evident in that person's life, whoever it is that you're praying for, and then allow them to pray that very same thing over you. And then Kelvin will interrupt that in a little bit, and we'll get joined in with some more worship, okay? Let's go to prayer, please. Let's pray real quick here. God, we just want to proclaim with our lives that which we have just proclaimed with our mouths. God, help us in our faith, encourage us in an understanding and reveal to us how we do that day after day to make that not just a song. Send us your spirit that we might be wholly dependent in the transition from what comes out of our mouth that it would be the overflow of our heart where you reside through faith in our inner man and in our inner woman. Strengthened to know just how great your love is for us, how deep and how wide and how high and how long is the love that you have for us. Overwhelm us with the ability to stand. That our entire life would speak of that song in your name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, one of the things that we want to be able to do with this Envision culture to keep it from being merely a program, to keep it from being merely just a, a way of thinking, if you will, is to take it off of a website necessarily and make sure that its beginning, its, its genesis, if you will, is in the Word of God. I'm a firm believer that in our churches and in our denomination and in other churches that I've seen, the, the places that are on the move 
And by on the move, I don't mean progressively or, or, or attracting the most people. The places that are on the move that have, that have been able to locate in their vision the heart of God and have, and have held on to it for as long as they can are those places that often say things like this. I don't know how it happened. Not, it was because of that. It was because of this fund. It was because of that pledge. It was because of those people. It was because of this lack of organization or that organization administrate. No. At some level... I think in all of us, there is a deep-seated desire to make sure that we're a part of things that we cannot explain. Something that goes deeper than who we are and anything we could pull off in and of ourselves. Now, I understand that in our lives, we sometimes lay trust into ourselves because of who we are. And the Christian life is really just kind of like a battle along the way of doing less of that and more of depending upon who God is. But I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is this kind of this profound understanding and awareness that God has given us sight that the world cannot give us. That God has given us a vision that the world cannot supply or produce. That it would come straight from heaven. And I know that that's possible based on the prayers of Jesus, based on him asking for simply, God, I just pray that your will on earth will be as it is in heaven. In other words, come down now. The way that you see the world, this out of time, out of space, omnipotent, omniscient way, give us that vision. And I think sometimes we're afraid to ask for that because we feel, no, we don't deserve that. Whether or not we deserve it is not in question. Because God has said through Jesus Christ that through my church and through the people that come after me, they will do greater things than I was ever able to accomplish. And in that, right there, is what this is all about, I think. And then what I'm seeing in the generation, and I'll do a lot of generational talk here tonight, but I want you to understand that when I say generations, I don't mean age. Because right away when you say generations, there is this thing that says, okay, so he's trying to say, if you're under 30, you got something new, and if you're over 30, you got an old vision. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I am saying that in our church, we are being crippled by an older generation of thought a dig-your-heels-in kind of thought that does not allow for the new vision that I feel God is giving to the church. And it happens to be including young people because they are the ones that are coming up into this vision. So what I want to talk about tonight is a story in John chapter 9 in which Jesus himself gives vision to a man who was born blind. Now, we're not talking about physical healing tonight. And honestly, Jesus wasn't concerned in this story about the physical healing either. There was something much greater at work in the way he chose to heal this man and the reasons why he did that. And in that, inside of that, that reasoning, that's where we want to sit. Because see, what is not in contention tonight is whether Jesus can heal or not. He can. And there's nothing you and I and our thoughts about it can make it change. But our dependency and our faith, as we've seen throughout the Gospels, is a requirement for it. So that's a really interesting irony that goes on. Now, John chapter 9, the story tells us right off the bat, as he went along, Jesus, he saw a man born blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, which is what they refer to him as, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, what they're trying to get at is an understanding of customary, of custom, of Jewish custom, of an understanding that usually when people are born with a defect, it is as a result of sin that has been done either in his life or in the generation before him. 
And Jesus has come, in a sense, to explain away some of the myths that exist at that point in time, as he has also said, I have come not to abolish the law, but to complete it. And in his completion of the law, he's going to do something major in this passage right next thing. He's not going to answer the question that they're asking, in a sense, because what they're looking for is someone to blame. They want to know, why is he blind? Kind of like you and I when we're in a traffic jam, you know, when you sit there for long enough, you're hoping that there's going to be something crazy at the end because why would I have had to sit here for so long? And you know, when there's not anything crazy at the end, you get really ticked off and you're like, what is that for, you know? But we, we would say, if we could be bold, I hope there's an accident at the end because this is really wasted a half an hour of my day. We want an answer for why I've sat in this highway like this, okay? That's what they're after, that same kind of idea. Why is he, why is he born blind? Because I think they're hoping that Jesus is going to shed some light. He's probably wanting them to say, oh, it's actually nothing at all. It's just a coincidence. Or, no, it has nothing to do with generational sin. But what he does is he completely changes the situation. He says this, neither. It's not because this man sinned. It's not because his parents or his grandparents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. If you went through the project experience already, no doubt you were at some level touched by what you saw. I want you to know, by the way, that we've worked very hard to verify all of those statistics to make sure that we're not trying to expand the truth in a way that emotionally ties you in, but that we've done due diligence to make sure that exactly what you see and what has been written is honest. And if that's true, something's wrong. If it's true. If it's true that people have to live that way and experience life in a way that is not fair and is full of human ill and is full of uncheerfulness and is full of not goodwill and is full of malice and anger, then something is wrong. And there's so many of us in the world right now that are trying to figure out why does that happen. They want to see the end of the train wreck, so to speak. They want to see the end of the traffic jam. And Jesus tells us clearly here that any and all of these things occurred, they happened, so that the work of God may be put on display. And it's a different way to think about why and what we should do. It's a different understanding that human trafficking exists so that the name of God may be proclaimed. And at some level, we may think that unfair. Wait, so people have to be sold into slavery just so God can get the glory? No. But when his church is mobilized, and they do what they're supposed to do, and care in a way that Jesus has asked them literally to care, God gets glory through that. And it's a double blessing because not only does God get glory when we do things like that, but those people's lives are made better. I can't, I always think of the story when Jesus healed the paralyzed man, remember that was lowered through the roof, that story, in which when the lowered man is is in front of him and he looks at him and he goes, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. Interesting that he healed the man's sins rather than heal heal his paralyzation. But I have a feeling that God knows what we need better than we think we might need, you know. But to show that God has compassion and care and love for this man, he says, get up and take your mat and, in a sense, have a better life now. I don't think that there's ever been a generation in the church than the next one that clearly understands this whole principle of compassion and the gospel at the same time than there was before. Now, there have been those in the past that are in older generations, older modes of thought, that have thought this way. But I am telling you what, you did not know when you were a kid what human trafficking was, even though it did exist. 
We did not know 10 years ago what human trafficking was, really. And maybe for some of us in this room, it's the first time you've ever heard of such a thing. And you're appalled that things like this happen around the world. But they do. And they do in abundance. This generation, because of technology, because of the way that news gets to us, because of the flattening of the world through globalization, can see farther than any generation before. This generation growing up in the church can find out on Twitter what's going on in Libya like that. They can go on to Facebook and find out what's going on in the Middle East like that. Now, there's a double responsibility there for that, though, by the way. For those of us that are a part of that, that we need to be cautiously aware of how God uses those things and use them as God would want us to use them, not just for the sake of having technology. That we are responsible that God is using these things in our life, the current situation of our world, to increase our vision, to increase our scope of care in the church. Not that we should run from it, but that we should embrace those things that allow us to bring the gospel in. Well, do I either bring in compassion or do I bring in the gospel? And to be quite honest, there's an older mode of thought, an older generation of thought that would say the gospel is the only thing that matters. And while I agree that the only thing that breaks the cycle of poverty and the cycle of malnutrition, and the cycle of lack of clean water, and the cycle of human trafficking, is Jesus Christ. How will he get us into those places to bring the gospel? Through compassion. And this generation, my friends, is prime for it. They're prime. How does that play into this passage? This young man that Jesus now heals represents what I believe is the next generation of vision. It, there should be no meaning lost in the fact that we're actually talking about somebody getting their physical sight back, right? And all they have been given is their sight. Nothing has changed about them. Having said this, Jesus, verse 4, spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. And then he told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which, by the way, means scent, double entendre. So the man went home and washed, and he came home seeing now, if we just read through this and just look at it as a casual Christian observer, we say, oh, great, great source of healing, great story of one who was blind and now he can see, until you understand the depth of why and how this occurred. First of all, this healing occurred on the Sabbath. And if you know anything about the Pharisees and the rules that they set up, the things that you do and do not do, you do not heal on the Sabbath. That's a no-no. Jesus walked right through that one. Secondly, you're not allowed to actually form anything with your hands on the Sabbath. No making of food, no making of bread, no making of pottery, not even taking saliva and dirt from the ground and making a little pod to put in someone's eye. Jesus busts right through that one. Thirdly, the pool that Jesus asked this blind man, by the way, which is a really disorienting thing, to put mud on a blind man's face and say, go take a walk towards water, stop when you get wet. But the pool that the man was asked to walk to by Jesus was outside of the mileage limitation that anyone could walk on the Sabbath. You could only walk so far on the Sabbath. And the pool that he said to go busted through that limitation. This was a very rebellious thing that Jesus was doing. And that's why I know in doing this the way he did it, proclaiming it this way, pronouncing it in such a way, the method becomes his message what he's trying to say to not only those of the disciples that were there, but to the ruling Pharisees that were all watching, taking notes, making sure they can trip him up, were going nuts, writing down all the bad things that he had just asked this man to do. Jesus was not making a mistake here. 
If there was a closer pool, he most likely asked the guy to go beyond that one just so he could make a point. Go, wash your face in the pool of Siloam, which means you're sent, and you will be seen. Sure enough. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Hey, isn't this the same man who used to sit down every day in our village and beg? And some claimed that he was, and others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted out loud, I am the man. Now this to me is a very unique and it's a crazy thing. The only thing that changed on this guy, literally, was the two eyes that he had in his head. Went from probably a green, grayish haze over his eyes to now having white eyes with pupils in them. That's the only physical change that would have happened to him. He did not go down to the store and buy a new wardrobe with these new eyes he had. He did not have time to go and make himself up and, you know, comb his hair or whatever. All he had was just different eyes. He had a new vision, and the people around him had no idea who he was. When you receive a vision from God, there will be a chance that nobody gets it and nobody recognizes it in you. It can't be the man. It doesn't even look like him. How does it not look like him? Now, what's going on inside of this man? The vision that God gives us is not just simply that which we see. It's that which we become. And we give ourselves to it. And it, in a sense, changes us almost to a point of unrecognization. To make matters worse is this guy standing in the village on his tippy-top toes saying, Hey, it's me. I'm telling you. Look at me. It's me. All of a sudden, the Pharisees decide to put a council together. The rest of the passage, I'll spare you the details go and they say, we're going to grab everybody we got. We're going to try and prove what's going on here. And they ask him again, is it you? Are you the one that was blind and now you see? And they didn't believe him. They go another step further and say, somebody call this dude's parents. Bring his parents down here. His parents had to leave the house, come down to the council, and proclaim in front of everyone that, yes, this in fact is our son. They still did not believe him. Finally, they have this one last argument in which this young man has a great line in it where he, he concludes that the reason they're asking him all this is because they also want to be disciples of Jesus. They're just afraid to admit it. But then he gives his final argument way down in verse 20, excuse me, way down in verse 30. The man answered after the third tribunal, if you will. Now this is remarkable. You don't even know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And at this moment, they all got up in a roar. They got up in a stir and they sold him. They told him, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And by throwing them out, it wasn't just mean they kicked them out of the room they were in. They kicked them out of the family. They kicked them out of community. Why? Because they couldn't understand what had happened to him. They couldn't in their minds justify that this guy, it's not him. And how did it happen? And of course they didn't like the guy that he was saying did it. So already there's a problem. For those of you in this room that are under 20, which I would call the millennial generation, the next generation of the church. I want, to understand, I want you to understand something about how I pray for you and think about you. You have been given a deposit by our God. He has deposited something very rich. He has put a mantle over you in which I believe he's going to ask you to do things 
that he has never before asked generations before you to do. He is, in a sense, going to put mud on the eyes of the generation and give you a vision that I don't think has ever been given to a generation. And people will not understand it. They won't get it. Not only will people that don't know the Lord not understand why you would care at all about human trafficking when there's a party on Friday night, or why you would want to be compassionate towards the kid in your school that nobody cares about. But I'm going to be honest with you in that there's an older generation of thought even within the church that will be confused about what you're seeing. And there may be a kicking out. If you want to know why I believe young people go through high school, go to the life conference, go to college, and try to get back into the church and are having a difficult time you know, as we're trying to do everything we can to change it, to make it customary to them, to draw them into the place that we call the house of God, and they're not coming. Yes, there is always personal choices involved in that, but for the most part, I think that they come through with a new vision, and the church at large does not see that vision. And after a while, they say, what's going on? It's me. I can see this. Why don't you see it? And we're so confounded in an older generational way of thought that we kick them out. Now, young people in this room, those of you that are going on to college or are in college or are coming home from college, I have something very strong to say to you. Go to church. Go to church. We desperately need your vision. We desperately need what God has wired in you, what he's forming in you, and if you run from it, then we can do nothing. Now, by we, I'm talking to the older generation I told you this morning, if you were coming tonight, I was going to kind of talk about this. At some length, I feel in youth ministry that we have done a great disservice to the church at large in that we have separated out the next generation and kept them quietly in a different room where there's ping pong tables and pool tables and lots of TVs. I'm a part of this, by the way. And I think that as we have done that, to some degree... We have helped to divide generations within the church. And what that means is we will never, in a younger generation, be able to get back behind or understand the vision of the older generation. I do not believe that the future generation of the church's job is to say, well, which way did the older folks go? They went that way. We're going to go this way. As a matter of fact, I firmly believe that for the next generation to fulfill the vision that God has given to them, they must first get in line with the generation that was before them and help to make sure that that vision is brought to fulfillment. Case in point, Joshua Moses. The most beautiful generational handoff I've ever seen. If you want to know about it, go read about it. But basically, it looks like this. Joshua and Caleb had a vision, by the way. Does anybody know what their vision was? We can take the promised land. The other 10 that were there, nope, can't do it. Can't do it. Nope, don't see the vision. And guess what happened? They were kicked out because the vision wasn't there. That generation wandered until it died off. Then it was allowed in. But when Joshua was handed over in the middle of all of that, there were battles. And there was one battle in particular that was very unique in which Moses had to have his hands up in the air. Do you remember this story? He was standing on top of the mountain overlooking the valley where the battle below was, and he had his hands up in the air. And the Bible records that as long as his arms were up in the air, the battle was being won. 
soon as they started to slip and fall because he was getting older, the battle was being lost. And they literally posted two people on his left and on his right to hold his arms up in the air. That's how literal this had to be. Don't know why, but that's how God ordained it. And Joshua, who was leading the battle down below and had all the tools and had all the technology and had the vision for leadership in a young man, he would have been the CEO of any corporation at that point in time, was not looking at the battle nor looking at his own hands, but was looking at the arms of Moses to make sure that they were following in accordance to that vision. And as long as he focused on that, the battle was won. The minute Joshua decided, I'm young, I'm going to go plant my own thing, the battle was lost. Young people in this church, do you know the vision of the church? Do you know what the leadership is trying to accomplish? You should. You should be a part of it. Older generation in this church, do you have any idea what the younger generation wants to do to change the world? Are these things that you walk through so foreign to you but so common to them? Now that you've been given sight, what will you do with it? After this young man was kicked out, this is beautiful. This is why I love Jesus. This young man was kicked out of his own community, his own family. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, Jesus went and found this man who had been kicked out. And he said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the Son of Man was a name that Jesus gave himself on this world, that many would know he was the Messiah. And this young man says, who is he, sir? Just tell me who it is so I may believe in him. Now, I want you to catch this scene, okay? Because in this scene is beauty. Jesus and this man, away from the crowd, are out in the middle of some field, perhaps. Who knows where they are? But they're alone, and they're talking to each other. And this man who's had sight for a day is now told by Jesus that the Son of Man to believe in is the one who is talking to you right now. And the Bible records that this man said, I believe, and he fell down and worshipped him. In an act of respect, this man who had spent all of his life on the ground, because that's where blind people sat, with this new sight and vision, probably hoping never to go back down to the ground again, goes down on his face with his legs out from him, and he reaches out and he grabs the ankles of Jesus, and he worships him the deepest, most guttural form of spiritual worship that this man could muster, and there he is, worshiping the one who gave him vision. I am not advocating for fulfilling visions that would make this world a better place. I know that my God is compassionate, and he defends the weak, and therefore I want to be about that. I am not advocating for new and intense ways to go about it that the church has never accomplished before in its history. I'm not advocating that. What I'm advocating is this. If the vision, if the mantle, if the banner has been given to the next generation, the way you seek fulfillment of this vision is not to focus on the vision. It's to focus on Jesus Christ and him alone. It's so easy to get caught up into the vision and making sure that it becomes fulfilled and you eradicate things and you do away with things and you change the world. Change the world is your mantra. The older generations of the church were motivated by serve the world. This generation of church is motivated by change the world. Seems subtle, but it's how Obama got elected. Change. 
It's more than just a marketing campaign, though. It's what's deep inside the heart of the next generation that they don't just want to placate these things. They don't just want to make them a little bit better. They want them gone. It's not to say that older generations never wanted that, but they did not have the ability at their hand to do it like this generation does. That's the biggest difference. So what do we do about that? For those in that younger generation mindset, if you have been given a vision that is not really jiving with the church, it's not really jiving, you don't know what to do with it, my only recommendation is this. Bow down and worship the one who gave it to you. Worship him. Hold on to him. If it's a vision from him, it will be verified, it will be confirmed, it will be encouraged, and along the way you will get to know him more. And he is the only one, by the way, that can bring the vision to fulfillment in your life, not you. This generation has done nothing to deserve this vision, I think, except to have been born now. Been born recently. Not that we would count ourselves more important than anybody else, but that we'd be keenly aware that God is doing something with us. For the older generation mindset, for those that are older in this room, I have a challenge for you. You need to be the Moses on the hill with your arms up so the younger generation has something to look at. You have to stand up there and keep your arms up. And by keeping them up, what I'm talking about is the reason Moses, could you imagine the conversation between God and Moses and he said to Moses, listen, I know this sounds completely ludicrous, but if you just keep your hands up in the air, you'll win the battle. Very simple, very direct, very profound, and he did it. I'm tired. Well, then get some people to hold your arms up at the elbows then. But just keep them up there because I've asked you to because they need to see you. And my friends, the Joshua generation, that this generation, the younger people in this world, those moving into leadership of our churches, desperately need to know that you're in front of them and your arms are up and that they can look at you as you look at God. Otherwise, they will just try to create all their own things with their own innovation and their own ingenuity. And that's not what we need. Inside of this tribunal, the thing that the Pharisees could not deal with, they could not justify, and the reason why they kicked this man out is probably related to this one statement that he had back in verse 25, chapter 9. They were asking him, you know, they actually said that Jesus was a sinner, and that's why this happened. And, and he said to the, to the Pharisees, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Deal with that. Tell me how it happened. And they couldn't, because they didn't have that vision. They didn't meet that Jesus, in a sense. It was given specifically to him, and they were jealous, covetous. I don't know what they were but they couldn't deal with it. We can read all the statistics and all the writing on the wall as to why the younger generation has and now will hopefully go forward with a new vision in our churches. But let us never be the ones that go, not fair, why not us? Let us never be the ones that go, they're not going to do anything with it. All they do is play video games. Not fair. Instead, let them know that you're on the hill for them. Your arms are up, and they can get behind you. 
which does have a requirement, by the way, for where you are and what you're doing. This multi-generational future of our church, I believe, will be the very thing that helps us through in a transition. And we are in a transition as a church, no doubt, right now in this world. And to give you a greater perspective of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, I think that at a national level, level, we are also in a transition trying to figure things out. We're sending missionaries out to the field, which we call international workers now, for their sake, for their safety, at alarming rates in different ways. We're sending workers out into the countries of this world that I can't actually tell you the name of the country. And we actually use code words for these countries at the national office. That must tell me that there's dangerous things about. And we're putting ourselves in very, very pointed, strategic places that at some level could result in prison or even death. We've got to get behind that. We've got to get behind the vision. And where envision culture comes in is we want to mobilize the visions of the next generation for kingdom change. That's what we want to do. I'm going to show you a video here, and I want to preface the video. This video was taken in a very poor area. My first experience in a place called Burkina Faso, the second poorest country listed by the UN in our world today. And I saw something there that overwhelmed me, and, and as it overwhelmed me, I thought, we've got to capture this on video. And I was being escorted around Burkina by my good friend Pete Brockup, who following the video is going to come up and share some of his heart for the Burkina Bay people. But as you watch this video, I think it exacts a unique marriage between the two things that we're talking about. Whereas I see older generational thought being, we only bring the gospel or we bring compassion, we got to pick which one we're going to do. I see the new generation as a general sense being both and, not either or. And they're okay with it. And they want to go forward in it. And for those of us that still might be in the either-or mindset, we've got to ask ourselves, God, maybe that was not our vision for who we were, but look what you're doing here. We can't deny it. And this beautiful marriage of compassion with the left hand and the gospel for all humanity with the right is what we're after. And I think so beautifully expressed in this video. This past summer, we had the supreme opportunity to take the project experience, if you have gone through. And by the way, they've told me that they're going to keep it open after. So in case you haven't been able to go through, you, you still can. We had the supreme opportunity to take the project experience to the creation festivals. You may have heard of Creation East and Creation West. We were the only denomination asked to come and do something at creation because someone had heard of the project experience. So we took it there, and, and you know, we're not, the only, um, we're not the only organization there advocating for, you know, social injustice against it. You know, there's other organizations there. And, and I have to be honest with you that as I walked around the booths and as many of the t people on our team walked around the booths and saw all these different organizations that were buy this bag, free a child, buy this hat, buy this water bottle, a kid gets a water bottle over there kind of a thing, you know the type. I couldn't be left think, but think this thought that what they were doing while it might have had great marketing and was a mile wide it was very shallow and it wasn't until about halfway through that somebody said something to me that helped me pinpoint why it felt that way 
because it wasn't connected to the church. It was just somebody who had a really great idea, an idea that sparked a lot of interest and does a lot of good. But really, the church was nowhere to be found. And I think the reason why God has allowed this project experience, which has a much longer history that I could talk to you about, but we never intended to be doing this on our own, and God has just kind of continued to push this thing down the road, literally. And as he has, the the thing that I think resonates with so many or resonates with people that are even not in our denomination is this, that what we're saying is that, yes, Jesus Christ is the answer to all of these things, and these are just means by which we can get him in and bring the light of the gospel to a dark world. But the beautiful thing about Envision Culture is this, the ability that we can take any one of you and throw you at 15, 20 different places around the world where you can experience these things is because we stand on a legacy of 130-some years of great work of our denomination all around the world. It's interesting to me that we have organizations right now that are doing humanitarian things in the name of the Lord, but they're calling us for help because they, we know, they know that we can be on a five-minute call arranged for something in anywhere around the world because we're so well-connected. No one needs to tell you that if you ask any missionary on the field, who really prepares missionaries for this work? They say the CMA. And you need to know that for people like Pete and actually in this room, people that have been missionaries overseas in the past, we are indebted to their service. We are indebted to be able to say, let's go around the world, let's change the world. Because if we didn't have the network, if we didn't have the legacy, if we didn't have all the road work that was been laid for us, we could not do that. And that's why I'm a part of this denomination because I see the profound opportunities that await us because of who God has created and allowed us to be, and we have answered his call. And as I look into the next generation, they might not know of these stories or other stories. I hope they do. I hope that, in a sense, we keep communicating them. But please know that the church is the vehicle of God to make sure that these people are cared for all around the world. And that to go out on your own, I feel, is dangerous. But to go out in the name of the church, the bride of Christ, in a network of those who care and provide coverage is very important. So yes, any one of you, we'd be glad to talk to. We actually have a table out back. We have a team of people that are with us. If you want to go, I don't care what age you are, somewhere around the world to expand your worldview and you're going not with uh, this church, find out what the church's vision is for missions here. Get on with that. If you want to talk about a youth ministry trip, we'll do that. If you want to talk about taking the project experience, I know there's other churches here tonight. I thank you for coming. We would love to help you. And, and man, talk to the Christ Chicks and their leadership team on how they pulled this great event off. We would love to see this happen all around with the culture that we're trying to create, the Envision culture. Now, I know that many of you have given money at the end of the project experience and that money is going to a well that I believe that your church is going to get behind and and drill and provide water for people that don't have clean water. But we also want to offer you that you could give tonight to Envision Culture and you need to know that Envision Culture is part of the great commission ministries of the Christian and Missionary Alliance to which you are asked to give on a routine basis. You're not giving to anything new. You're not giving to anything different. You are giving to the whole. And that you need to know that our denomination, our headquarters is 
equally behind this vision of mobilizing the next generation for kingdom change. We're here on their call and on their allowance, not as a rogue group of younger people who want to give a new message, but as one that has produced and excited by that which is going on in Colorado. I want to thank this church for being willing to let us come, and I want to thank you for giving up your Sunday night to come and be a part of something which I pray will change your life in small or in great ways. I'm going to pray for us now to close our time. I'd ask for you to stick around for one last song, Struck by Grace, and really kind of give them a, a hearty thank you if you can. They got a long trip home tonight. We've just appreciated being with you, and we feel that God has been here and that this has been about him, not about a program. Let's pray. Father, this is your vision. This is the only thing that we could see is that which you give us. And I pray that there's any part of this vision that is not of you, that it just will not take any hold. But God, for the things that you're wanting to do with the next generation, the things that you're wanting to do with the current generation in our church of leadership, will you see, will you allow us to see like we've never seen before? Will you apply things to our eyes that will allow us to believe in you and worship you? And may we understand that the vision is not as important as the one who gives the vision. And that that is what we will tune our lives to. And then through all all of that, you will supply the things that we need. This Envision culture is all about seeing you in every single thing in this world, good and bad. And we realize that the things of this world that don't seem fair are there and have happened so that the works of your Father may be displayed. May we be a part of that. It's in your name we ask for all these things giving you grace with grateful hearts, expressing thanksgiving and gladness in your presence. Amen.